Thank you, Roger. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those of you. I reckon we have three congregations nowadays at the same time. We have an on-site congregation, so good to see you, coming out on such a hot day. We have those who are watching online and those who are watching offline. We've become a multiplex church, haven't we, uh, almost overnight. Um, thank you, Dave, for the very warm welcome. It was interesting that when we were in the, uh, the vestry of the room before, uh, when Dave was praying, he said, Lord, would you speak clearly through Paul? And I, I didn't know whether that was through my exposition of the sermon or whether it was a reference that you will understand my northern regional accent. <laughs> Uh, but I, would you believe I'm in my 15th year here in Billericay? If you don't understand me now, you never will. <laughs> so uh, if you're struggling, the great thing about uh, having uh, sermons on YouTube, you can go back to them, can't you? And listen again. What was that? What was that? Or if there's something inspirational, you can go back and uh, hear it again. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I celebrated my 25th year of being ordained. How amazing is that? Who would have thought that I would have lasted uh, that length of time. But every time I preach in 25 years, I've used this same opening prayer, which I will ask you to repeat after me. And I wonder how many hundreds of times i prayed this prayer uh, over the last few years. So let's just bow our heads to pray and uh, just repeat the words that I pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for your word. word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, May you speak to my heart and change my life. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about what, it may, what makes a person to be wise? Could it be someone who wears glasses? There's a wise old owl. Could it be someone with grey hair? I'm looking pretty good on those two at the moment, aren't I? (laughs) But mind you, looking around this morning, saw quite a number of you as well. Um, Could it be someone with letters after their name, or someone who was elected to high office? Well, the events of recent weeks tells us that is definitely not the case, uh, is it? But when we think of someone who was wise in the Bible, we probably think of King Solomon. And Solomon was, and still is in some quarters, considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. And whilst he certainly had a wisdom that far outweighed the wisdom of the world, he still didn't do what God told him to do, which was to take down the high altars. He had lots of wives and concubines who caused his heart to go astray to the point where he started to worship other gods. People can be wise sometimes, and other times they can't be. And the Bible has a number of examples of the folly, if you like, of man's wisdom. The building of the Tower of Babel um, in Genesis 11 seemed like a, a wise enterprise, but it ended in failure and confusion. It seemed wise for Abraham to go to Egypt when famine came to Canaan, but the results proved otherwise. King Saul thought it was wise to put his own armor on young David for his battle with Goliath, but God's plan was otherwise. The disciples thought it was wise to dismiss the great multitude and let them find their own food. But Jesus took a few loaves and fishes and fed them instead. The Roman experts in Acts 27 thought it was wise to leave port and set sail for Rome, even though Paul disagreed 
and the storm that followed proved that Paul's wisdom was better than their expert counsel. They lived to regret it, but we know that at least they lived. But this is in contrast um, to the wisdom that comes from above, which I'm sure you looked at in some depth at the beginning of the series. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And in today's passage, James speaks about the evidence of those who have wisdom. And he gives us two versions. One which is, as David Dickinson would say, the real deal. How many of you watch this during on daytime TV? Okay, I just know about it. I haven't got time to read it <laughs> during the day. Uh, but he's quite famous for that. Well, at least I thought he was, but obviously not in Villaricky. Anyway, he would say it's uh, the real deal. So James talked about something that's the real deal and one which is an imitation of the real thing. And as we look into these few verses, uh, 13 to 18, we'll see one version of wisdom comes from God and the other comes from ourselves or from the enemy. And like all good preachers, uh, today I have three points. And the first uh, point I want to bring to you is the wisdom of God. And uh, this is found in verse 13. If you have your Bible, I'm just going to read each section as I go through my talk this morning. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But James starts out with quite a provocative question, doesn't he? Uh, And this tests immediately and challenges, if you like, our personal pride. Who is wise and understanding among you? We'll have a look around and see if you can finger anyone, point at anyone and think, yeah, that person's wise. I seek their wisdom. They speak into my life. But in this uh, opening verses, James uses two different Greek words with two different meanings. Understanding comes from the Greek epistemon, which focuses on intellect and factual knowledge. And wisdom, which James will centre on more heavily in this passage, is from the Greek sophos. Uh, And this term is more related to practical, real-life use of moral reasoning. And James is reminding us that wisdom is not merely intellectual knowledge or even spiritual knowledge. It involves a wisdom that is backed up by the way that we live. Now, this is not to say intellect is unimportant, but James' primary point in this letter is about what we do. And as a result, it's natural that he leans more heavily, if you like, on the more applied wisdom aspect. Now, those with some theological training or higher status in the faith community will be tempted to count themselves qualified as wise. Those who feel inadequate in spiritual matters might expect not to be noticed in this situation. But James's answer to his own question actually comes as a surprise. He puts it down to a good life and good deeds rather than intellectual or spiritual wisdom. But as human beings, uh, we tend to measure wisdom as someone having the right answers to the hard questions of life. And I wonder how many appointments have wrongly been made in churches because we are looking at someone's CV and they're drawn to how successful they have been in secular employment 
or church life, I wonder how many letters they have after their name, rather than looking for the wisdom and humility that comes from God in the way that they lived. I have to hold my hand up and say I'm guilty of that. I've made many appointments in my ministry over the years. But I have to say that some of my best appointments have been made when I've been a lone voice after an interview. And uh, people have been flattered by something and I thought, I'm not quite sure about that. Let's just dig a bit deep. And I have made appointments uh, over the years that nobody's approved and agreed. <laughs> but I've exerted my right as a senior pastor uh, to do that. And they've been some of the most successful appointments I've made. But as uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God chose the foolish things of this world. Why? To shame the wise. God chose the weakest things of this world to shame the strong. A truly wise person will demonstrate the humility of wisdom by his good works. And the true test of God's kind of wisdom is a life well lived, a life spent doing good works, a life spent serving others. So James is setting up an opportunity for someone to show the genuineness, the genuineness of, the, of his or her wisdom by the life they live. And this is very much in line with what he has previously said concerning faith and also what Roger spoke on a few weeks ago about the use of the tongue. But James probably still has in mind those he spoke about in verse 1 uh, of this chapter who desire to teach. But teaching... Uh, applies to every one of us, not just those aspiring uh, to be members or teachers in the church. So for me, whether you're in politics, the church, whether you're a school teacher, a police officer, whatever, society expects that we should be men and women of integrity. I don't know if anybody saw the, uh, the political debate on uh, Channel 4 the other night and uh, the, the presenter asked people to raise their hand. Put your hand over again there. Trust a politician. You see that? I know about 100, 150 in the audience. Not one person uh, held their hand up. And what's the biggest thing that we want in our politicians at the moment? Honesty and integrity. Absolutely. If we look for that in politicians, why is it wrong that the church, that the community in the world should be looking at us as a church, as a Christian community, that we would have integrity in our lives and the way that we live the way that we serve. Where can true wisdom be found? This man needs no introduction. Billy Graham said this a number of years ago. It's so quite a brilliant quote. He said, Millions of people today are searching for a reliable voice of authority. The word of God is the only real authority we have. His word sheds light on human nature, world problems and human suffering. But beyond that, it clearly reveals the way to God. The message of the Bible is the message of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I lead a lot of Alpha courses. And uh, I love the, uh, the Alpha course when we think about the Bible and how the Bible guides us. And uh, this is one of the lists that I put down of what the Bible is. I said, it's the best-selling book in the world always. It's a great story. It's a wonderful literary achievement. It's an authentic history book, a reliable scientific book, a book of prophecy, a revered holy book, a book of wisdom, a precious book, but above, above all, it's the word of God. 
So wisdom is to act upon and submit ourselves to the revelation of God through his word. And the opposite of wisdom, of course, is foolishness, the adopting of a secular mind and the spirit of the age. I think one of the things that grieves me, having been a Christian for many years, is how the church at large seems to be shaped by the morals and values and ethics of the world and of society on all sorts of things, some quite controversial subjects. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) I've got a bit of wisdom. (laughs) Um, But we, we are shaped by what's happening in the world rather than the church shaping the world. Paul highlights this in Romans 12 when he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not run after all the attractive, elusive dreams shouted at us constantly by the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, James talks about the wisdom of God. Then he talks about the wisdom of the world, verses 14 to 16. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. As I mentioned earlier, we live in a society where institutions and elected leaders are no longer trusted. We live in a society where there is more information but less knowledge and less wisdom. I mean, the internet just changed, isn't it? Our access to information. We have more uh, knowledge or access to information than we've ever had, but we have less knowledge and less wisdom. Why? Because we don't know who to believe or where to have a, a trustworthy source of information. This is Professor Michael Barber, who under Tony Blair, if I dare mention his name, uh, was head of the Prime Minister's Delivery delivery Unit. And he summed it up when he said this a number of years ago. He said, we are drowning in in information while starving for wisdom. We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. And that's quite an amazing statement, isn't it? Because it seems he's readily admitting that people today are looking for answers uh, to the questions in the wrong places and in the process have become a foolish society. But if the conduct of our politicians in recent times tells us anything, it tells us that there comes a time when we become tired of an endless stream of lies or lapses of memory, or as I mentioned earlier, a lack of integrity, when what do we want? We just want the truth. Very interesting to uh, see Saeed Javid uh, interviewed on Breakfast TV just a few days after he uh, resigned as being the health secretary. I don't know if you've seen it, but he attended a prayer breakfast uh, in Westminster Hall. And uh, Les Isaacs, who's the founder of Street Pastors, uh, was preaching. And uh, he must have mentioned something about integrity uh, in life, not necessarily in the politicians, but uh, Saeed said he was so... um, challenged by the preaching uh, of Les that he, he knew then that he was going to resign immediately. He said there was no question. How I wish some of you at the end of this sermon will go home and act upon what you hear. I mean, that's just preacher's dream, isn't it? 
But thinking about politicians, James says that we should not harbour bitter envy or selfish ambition. Traits that are the opposite of true displays, if you like, of godliness. And uh, bitter envy means we want something that someone else has. We desire it to the point that we become bitter, jealous. We might be envious of people's material possessions. It may refer to the envy of someone's job or family. It might be envy of someone's personality or character. I'm very envious at the moment of those who have aircon in their house. <laughs> Just put your hands up if you have aircon in your house. Don't be shy. Great, I'm not going to leave this morning being envious of who you are. We've all got it in our car, haven't we? But yeah. Um, and I have to be honest that I can get quite and say that I can get quite un- envious by what people post on social media. Those who have appear to have perfect families or always seem to be on holiday or having uh, regular meals at the most expensive restaurants. I often need to check myself and just say, Lord, help me to be thankful for what I have. And that's a danger of social media, isn't it? I wonder, would anyone here this morning like to admit about what makes you envious? I'm actually joking. Don't worry about it. I wouldn't want to to start something rolling. But it might be a conversation that one or two of you might want to have with the Lord sometime later today, if that just prompted something in your spirit. He also talks about selfish ambition, which means we are motivated for something that serves our own interests and doesn't serve the needs of others. Or, as Christians often say, it doesn't serve the common good of the church or the community around us. James says that envy and ambition are the very denial of the life that the gospel calls us to live. That it's not the real thing. We might be able to flatter people because of the job we have and the position we hold, but none of those give us the wisdom that only God can give. And uh, we must recognize that uh, the wisdom we receive from God won't necessarily be popular wisdom. But popular rejection is no sign that this wisdom is wrong or inappropriate. Just look at the, uh, the life of Daniel the prophet or Joseph. It gives you an example of how their wisdom was rejected uh, as being wrong. The world will never applaud the Christian faith because it points out its errors and exposes its illusions. The world can't take that and neither, dare I say, can some Christians. James makes it clear that where supposed other wisdom comes from, doesn't come from, if it doesn't come from above, doesn't come from God, it's unspiritual and comes from ungodly sources. In fact, James says it's demonic, comes from the enemy himself. It's a pretty strong statement to use as a comparison, isn't it? But when we depart from God's ways and pursue our own ways, it creates a mess, we know that not following God's ways creates disorder and brokenness in our lives. And we know that God is not a God of confusion. He is a God who brings direction, order, clarity. But bitter envy and selfish ambition, disorder and evil practice are the opposite of wisdom that comes from above. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you've asked for a cork? Some of you, you've probably been to a restaurant and you ask for a cork. 
And then the uh, waiter brings you a Pepsi. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about Pepsi or anything positive about Coke. But if you want a Coke and they bring you a Pepsi, that's a problem, isn't it, for some people? I wonder if you can remember this um, advert a few years ago. I'm going to ask us if we can say this as quickly as the advert was. <coughs> I, haven't, I haven't even rehearsed this. So, um, except, so it's lip-smacking, thirst-quenching, taste-motivating, good, buzzing, cool-talking, high-walking, fast-living, ever-giving, cool-fizzing Pepsi. But it's not the real thing. You can't beat the real thing. And so also with wisdom, we need the real thing. We need true wisdom that only comes from God. We don't want something that's a counterfeit, something that's second best. We want the real thing from God himself. And so in these few verses, James goes back uh, to the wisdom of God. It's almost a sandwich, isn't it? The wisdom of God, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God. Just making his point uh, again. And uh, he repeats the theme of uh, verse 13, but this time he writes how wisdom of God produces godly fruit. And when Paul wrote about fruit in Galatians 5, he uses the singular. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we often look at individual fruits that we can tick off. And say, yes, I'm a bit more patient today. I've got a bit more self-control today. Oh, love's high on the list for tomorrow when I go back to work. Because Monday morning, oh, it's a bad day. But Paul's not saying, he says, fruit. It's a singular. Uh, all of these will be demonstrated in our lives uh, on a regular basis. And let's look at what James says in verses 17 and 18. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. But I just want to pick on the word pure or purity. Many people seem to be afraid of this word. They think it describes a self-righteous kind of person. But purification in the Christian life stems from the same philosophy that motivates us when we wash our dishes. We don't set our table with dirty dishes, do we? Well, if you do, don't invite me for lunch, <laughs> if you don't mind. No, we wash our dishes regularly. We put them in the dishwasher. We set our dinner table with clean, bright, shining dishes. Why? Because you ought to eat food off clean plates. Seems an obvious thing to say, doesn't it? Unless you're a student. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to my daughter's uh, flat. I remember just about three months after she'd moved in, I'm thinking, really? What? Yeah, anyway, you've been there. Don't go there. Um, anyway, we don't ser want to serve our guests great food on dirty dishes. And God doesn't want to do his great work through dirty vessels. In fact, he can't do his great work if we are not looking for that purity that he brings. But that's what sin will do to us. It creates disorder and leads to every evil practice. Now, of course, I recognize that sin isn't a popular word in today's church. It's not very woke, 
is it? Sorry, it's not a popular word in today's world, I meant to say. Sorry, not in the church. We acknowledge that, don't we? But sin simply means to live our lives to please ourselves rather than God. It means to do things our way rather than God's way. We need a regular cleansing of our hearts. We are just, uh, at Emmanuel, we're working through uh, the the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is one of my favourite Bible characters. Uh, And next Sunday, we finish chapter 13. We started in January, and uh, every other week we've been going through Nehemiah. It's a great story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls in 52 days, then he began to... um, rebuild the spiritual life of the community Uh, and the walls had been rebuilt Uh, the gates had been blessed everything had happened then he came down and said we need to purify the people and his view was what's the point of a purified city if the people who live in it are not pure if they don't have the right hearts uh, before the Lord and the Bible teaches that we purify ourselves not through ritual but by confessing our faults and our failings, our sins, our mistakes. And it's not if we have sinned, but that we have sinned. We don't hide them, and I'm using the plural here, because my guess is that all of us have sinned more than once. Even this morning, perhaps. We don't pin the blame on someone else. We acknowledge our failings, and we confess them. Then having done those things, God forgives us and restores us, to his favour. I remember those amazing words in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you were to make a list of the spiritual gifts that we read about in um, 1 Corinthians 12, some of you may think that Paul had a bit of a muddled understanding of the priority Uh, that he puts his spiritual gifts in. Where some people might be tempted to put tongues first and wisdom last, Paul does the the exact opposite and puts wisdom first and tongues at the very bottom of his list. Why? Because Paul recognised that wisdom must never be undervalued and nor must other spiritual gifts be overvalued. And right at the beginning of his letter and in chapter 3, James urges his readers to ask God for wisdom. And this is another indication of just how important this gift of God's wisdom is to us. Some of you may have heard of the theologian Alec Mateer. Uh, he was principal at one time at Trinity College, Bristol. He's written numerous commentaries and uh, was editor of the Bible Speaks Today series. He's also written, according to many theologians, the definitive commentary on the book of Isaiah, um, if you're interested. His daughter was a member uh, of the church in Hanforth, where I served my curacy, Hanforth in Cheshire. And he uh, used to attend quite regularly. How intimidating to have someone like that listen to your sermon. He was always very gracious about my sermons. And... Uh, on one occasion, when I was talking, we said, I'd love to meet with you when I'm up. You know, when I'm visiting uh, my daughter, why don't you pop round? We'll have a chat. And I thought, wow, who's going to say no to that? And uh, so for once a month, for nearly four years, I shared a coffee and spent a couple of hours talking and praying with Alec, who was a humble, generous, and wise man of God. And I can't tell you what I learned from him, 
but also how he made me feel uh, growing up in ministry. James wants us to know true wisdom. He wants us to experience the wisdom that is from God and to see the superiority of it over the wisdom offered by the world. Do you want to be wise? Pray for and nurture a godly wisdom in your life and look for those with godly wisdom within the church family. Appreciate those who have it. Receive what they have to say. Seek opportunities, as I did, to talk to and pray with those who have a godly wisdom. Use them as a model of godly living to follow. And I'm just going to give the last word to James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them short by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Amen.